Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask that librarian. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Robin. Welcome back to another episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians. Welcome back. Yes. So we're kind of on the heels here of the Eisner Award nomination just came out about a month ago, right? Yeah. We're knowledgeable about graphic novels. Yeah, you definitely more so than me because you started a I graphic did. We novel just, collection. Yes, we just year. launched the uh, adult graphic novel collection here mm-hmm. at Pittsburgh Community Library. We did have adult graphic novels before, but they were kind of tucked away in the Dewey Decimals in yeah. the 700s between architecture and something. You couldn't even find them, really. You'd stumble upon them, maybe. They're hidden. But now they're broken out. They've got their own section, right. graphic novels, graphic novel series, and graphic nonfiction. So they're there. Come check them out. But... We thought it'd be great to bring in a, a guest this week mm-hmm. who is an expert. So yeah. we have Jason Poole. He's the outreach coordinator at the Webster Public Library, and he's been in the past an Eisner Award judge. So welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I just wanted to ask, you said that was recently that you pulled the yeah. adult? That's really, that's fantastic. We yeah. have a, a separate adult section at the Webster Public Library, and I feel like that's kind of the last frontier When I first started as a librarian, or at least first started working in libraries back in 2003, a lot of libraries had pulled out teen collections. Yes. Yeah. And that was kind of the standard. The Webster Library was the first library to pull our children's comics out from nonfiction to have their own separate section. And now I'd say probably every single library in the system, or most if not everyone, has a separate collection. There's still a handful of libraries that have pulled out adult collections that I feel like that's sort of the last... Yeah, that's Frontier a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. funny because it, for a long time, patrons would come and they would ask, "Where's your adult graphic novels?" And be like, "All right, here they are, tucked away here." And and now it's just someone comes up to the desk, they say, "Where are the adult graphic novels?" You point them right to it, and yeah, and I think it just speaks to kind of the explosion in popularity Absolutely, of the graphic yeah. novel, maybe changing of generations and how you know right. just the way the world is working out. So, I mean, what Jason, what do you think? There is definitely more interest in the the form these days and just kind of where, where do you think that's all coming from how has it evolved well since i've been in libraries working in libraries i would say that i've seen a lot of growth they weren't new when i started in mm-hmm. and but it was still more kind of a subculture or a niche market yeah, yeah. if you Absolutely. will I would say that there are actually a variety of factors i think you know one of them is i'll say that i think there have been librarians who are passionate about the format who've been really advocating for it I, i've been to many conferences and conventions and talked to creators and had a lot of them particularly with children's comics yes. which i've mm-hmm. seen a, a special explosion over the last yeah. decade or so talk about how grateful they are for librarians really promoting and pushing graphic novels and publishers really taking note and using librarians to help them to promote graphic novels and as i mentioned when we were talking before we started about how the Eisner Awards themselves, since about 2006, started including librarians Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a part of the regular roster of judges who judge for the awards. So people not just recognizing, well, I guess in the graphic novel world, recognizing the value of librarians and what they have to contribute and their expertise in the format. And then in the wider world, librarians promoting the good word about comics and graphic novels to, to patrons and to other people. Other factors, I think, would be kind of nerd culture, quote yeah. unquote, becoming more mainstream. Yeah. No doubt. You know, with the the Marvel movies and just seeing graphic novels being really prime targets for movie adaptations. I know that Mark Millar 
has had a number of his films adapted into comics. He did like Wanted and Kick Butt, but the other word. I don't yeah, know yeah. <laughs> there are a lot more that yeah. I could think of that I can't think of off the top of my head, but there are times where, <laughs> and I, I have mixed feelings about this, but he would actually, the story would be drawn essentially to be adapted for yeah. film. Yeah. Oh, and I don't know if you know about the film 300. Right. Was actually adapted into film literally frame by frame. They went through make Frank really? Miller's comic and the shots, the pictures and the panels, they took and reproduced those in film. And it's really fascinating. That's they wild. set it up perfectly so, for him. Yeah. An, wow. an artistic, you know, endeavor just. And so yeah. there are creators like Millar who basically are saying, we're going to make this easy for you. And, yeah. you know, here it is. I mean, literally you go through the, and it's a lot of the sort of widescreen panels. That's very interesting. Uh, it's amazing. Make it ready for adaptation. Again, I have mixed feelings about that. You mentioned nerd culture kind of moving to the forefront. And do you think it has to do something with children who were born in the 70s, 80s, 90s now being adults and kind of in charge of the culture, for lack of a better way to put it? I, I think so. I feel like the Gen Xers, you know, they really have just put all of their energies into entertainment. So mm -hmm. you're seeing Gen X generation sure. really having a lot of influence. You know, I'm in my 40s and people who are in their 40s and, and 50s who are in a position now where they have the agency and to be able to make decisions about these right. things and i think we're seeing that even in terms of the reboots that are happening and mm -hmm. all the kind of 80s cartoons and comics mm -hmm. are all just yeah. really coming yeah. back again yeah and you know whatever you think about reboots i think there's been some really creative stuff done especially like with the the recent she-ra cartoon that came yeah. out yeah that sort of thing so yeah i think that definitely has had a had an influence for sure yeah you know i remember being a kid it's a subculture like yeah. you like star wars you're a nerd yeah and that was the way it was and all of a sudden, I, I guess it's in the 2000s, it's hard to put a finger on exactly when it kind of started turning. I don't remember the X-Men movies came out and then obviously Spider-Man MCU stuff. It was just a wave and it became the, the popular culture. I mean, it was really when film technology... Uh, yeah. I mean, there were superhero movies. Sure. But before when Spider-Man was swinging across whatever you had to do, it had to all be like mechanical yeah. props yeah. and things yeah. like that. And it never looked authentic until CGI came along. And now you're able to make Spider-Man look like he's really swinging from building to building. And then that made a big difference in terms of what you could adapt in that way. So, I mean, I'd say probably it was probably around 2000. I'm not sure when exactly the first X-Men movie came out, but I think that came before the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, they were right around this. I think X-Men mm -hmm. 2000 and then Spider-Man's 2001. Could be wrong. And that was also right around when in Marvel, the Ultimate line was released around then too. An Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate yeah. X-Men comics actually brought in a lot of new readers mm -hmm. because at that point the histories of those characters were so convoluted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were just like I mean you really you'd grab a comic off the newsstand and you'd be like, I don't who are these characters? Yeah. What's yeah. going on? Mary you know, Jane died five times, something like yeah, that. Yeah. There's five clones of Spider Man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so they're like, let's just start the stories all over again. Yeah. And I think that really was a big boost and with the movies happening concurrently, yeah. I think made more people interested. It's interesting because the comic store that I go to, uh, Comics Etc. on Main Street, I've been going there for like 15 years. Nice. He told me at one point that the popularity of the movies, this was several years ago, wasn't necessarily translating to sales of comics. I'm curious if that's changed at all, at least superhero comics. Yeah. I think there have been a lot more interest in other comics, you know, Rain and Telegamere, yeah. Smile, really exploding and bringing a lot of younger readers. And I think autobiographical comics, there have been a number of ones that have been very prominent, like Fun Home, Persepolis. Actually, Mouse was Mouse, of course. one yeah. of the first. I yeah. mean, that's kind of coming back again. I've yeah. been seeing yeah. people interested in that again. And actually, that was it was before its time, really. It kind of yeah. came out before its time. Now, autobiographical comics, there's really something yeah, for Good for Talk, Mirror Jacobs, right? Uh, memoirs. Oh, yeah. I read one. that recently. Yeah. Yeah. That was fantastic. That is. It's excellent. 
It's very I, easy to read. It too, is, and if I think you're you, new to comics. Yes, and I yeah. think that's the such a great entry point for people. I remember someone coming up to me, a patron, being like, "Oh, I, I just want to read every graphic memoir you have." And it was this yeah. was a new thing, and they were just so excited about I, it. It is a really fantastic way to convey. You know, when you're reading a a, a regular memoir, you have to in your mind picture what's happening, mm-hmm. but you can see exactly what's happening in a, yeah. in a graphic novel. You can see where people were standing, what people looked like, what was happening. And the artistry from book to book is just you. You never yeah. know what you're going to get, and it's amazing. Absolutely, something like Mouse. Could be like that, so stark, and um, you know, and then right, and that is another a good point. The art style can really evoke the feelings yeah. that the author had, at absolutely, that point, and who they are as well. Well, and even to add to that, I think that there are cartoonists who perhaps may not be as technically skilled mm-hmm. as like people who draw the superheroes and things. And I think that the different kinds of stories that you tell make room for there to be different yeah. types of absolutely, ways you can draw. Yeah. It. And so I'm not trying to say that anyone's a bad artist. No, I know. But I, I know. I think uh, Julia Wirtz is a, an example. She started a, not a webcomic, but it was just like she'd do the mini comics and it was like autobiographical and because she couldn't think of another title. She called it Fart Party. <laughs> but I've been following her since, you know, probably the mid aughts. And she has, you know, following her on social media and she yeah. has like diligently worked at her craft. And I've watched her improve That's neat. dramatically yeah. as an artist from the time that she first started. And... That's something that the fact that she was able to kind of get a foothold in that world and then continue to improve her art as opposed to people trying to break into Marvel or DC. You have to be the best of the best to be able to get in there. Exactly. So like really anybody, if you can draw stick figures. Yeah. And you got the story. Right. It's really about your ability to tell the story. You can draw stick figures. You throw a webcomic up. You know, very simple. Stick figures. Stick figures. Yeah. But But, still tells a story. Right. Tells a story. There's a, a movement to the, the way that the narrative's told, mm-hmm. the way that the figures are framed. Mm-hmm. And so really, it, it's very accessible, I think, to anyone who wants to express yeah. themselves in that way absolutely, uh, as well. So it's just really cool that there's been more room. And so, right. so basically, kind of the, the mainstreamification of superhero comics and culture, I think, has sort of paved the way yes. for the format itself to become more widely recognized. And um, I think that's what's so much fun about being a, a librarian who's in charge of a collection like that is that there's a lot of obscure titles maybe that probably wouldn't end up in the hands of anybody if it wasn't here and presented and put on display. And, you know, I think it's great that now librarians are part of the, the Eisner Committee, like you said. It's just, it's a lot of fun and there's just so much, it's a whole new world, you know, the new yeah. frontier. One thing that I did want to mention when you're talking about entry points that I think people don't think about is a person who's not been exposed to the format before, there's this sort of sense that you can just kind of jump in and mm-hmm. you're reading it the same way as you read a book. Yep. But it's there's a literacy to comic books. And I've had people, they'll want to grab something like, I don't know, like Fun Home or or something like that. And they'll be like, yeah, I, I just couldn't get into it. Comics aren't for me. Right. And then you delve into it a little bit more and they're like, well, it's just, it was hard for me to kind of yeah. keep the, the words different from the panels. And, the, and one thing that if you are accustomed to it or if you grew up reading them, you'll know that comics readers will talk about having an ability to take in both the visual and the text at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's literally a skill that you yeah. train your brain to be able to do. And so I feel like in the same way that kids start with beginning readers and move their way up, I think that you have to be in mind, especially to any librarians who are listening out there, when you're thinking about recommending comics and graphic novels to people who have not read them before, you have to take into consideration how advanced that's an excellent the, point. The, the storytelling point. really yeah. is. And start them off with something that's simple and straightforward, that Man. where the panels are uniform, you know, words yeah. are distinct from the panels, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, interesting. I mean, so this is a great segue. You brought up Raina's smile before. 
you get a whole new generation of kids that, and like that that yeah. form is the most popular i think yeah, I mean, in my experience working in the children's room occasionally, that is what kids want the most. Yeah, yeah. coming from the picture book, right? When right. you're little and the adults reading to them and they flip through themselves, maybe read to themselves, then what a perfect kind of transition. Yeah. Um, it's just, and it's interesting. You do find some parents who be like, oh, pick out one that's not a graphic novel, but right. oh, I don't know. It's like, you, they love like, that. This, Go, this is what keep your kid going. wants to read. The, the thing fun. that used to bug me all the time, and I hear it less now. Yeah. I hear it less, but it always would be like, yeah, it's okay if my kid reads comics, but I want them to read real books too. Yeah. Real books, yeah. And that's my the line. Soapbox yeah. is always like comics are real books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are real books. They require the same literary skills. And in fact, they require additional skills. Yeah. Visual interpretation, being able to interpret events in like do you remember in kindergarten when you had like the 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 seed going in the ground and then the sprout and then the watering? Mm-hmm. It's yes. like put these pictures in order. Yeah. Right? Like being able to interpret images in a sequence is a skill yeah Mm -hmm. you know and so it's not just that kids are reading but they're also they're increasing their visual literacy and not only that but i often say that when you have a kid who might be struggling with reading and i don't like it's true comics can be good for reluctant readers sure there was a while where that was kind of the push that like this is why comics are important well okay that's just one of the reasons why comics are important but I think it's true that what happens is if you have a kid who's struggling with reading, you also can have an image that can help them to interpret the text. Mm-hmm. And so when they interpret that image, you know, they might not know what all of the words are, but they can still follow the story. Yes. Right. Back to Raina Telgemeier, which I do want to mention, is it's not just about the explosion in kids' comics. Also because Scholastic, the big company, was publishing her stuff. Brief segue, one of the things that can be challenging with comics and graphic novels is that more than many other industries, you have a lot of these kind of mid-sized publishers. They don't have the the budgets right. to be able to market their stuff as well as the big, you know, you have like in the print text, uh, prose text world or whatever, you've got like a HarperCollins and all their subsidiaries, and they've got this powerhouse, you know, PR and marketing, yeah. all this kind of stuff. They can get the word out. People know about it. I mean, like Fantagraphics still, they've been around forever. It's like a handful of people, yeah. you know, and I mean, last they knew, <laughs> you know, and so they don't have the the ability to sure. kind of get the word out yeah. in the same way. And that's honestly where libraries really factor in significantly. They put out a series of reprints of Donald Duck comics yeah. by Carl Barks hmm. that have been insanely popular. And I think that that series for them has really helped to kind of yeah. enable yeah. them to actually to keep them in print longer because that's another sort of downside is that Comics can go out of print more mm-hmm. quickly sure. because you do the run and then you don't have the money to do another run, you know, and so then that's the end of it. They're out of print and then you can't replace them anymore. And so I think Scholastic being a big powerhouse that they are, they can keep their print books in print for longer. They can kind of really push this stuff out there, get the word out. And then it, it actually opens the door for these smaller creators and smaller publishers to really be able to put similar kinds of things mm-hmm. out and to get the same kind of attention. And that's actually also where librarians really factor in and yeah. are important especially for comics and graphic novels because of the, shall we say, the promoting power of libraries Mm -hmm. that can kind of be an additional push for some of those mid-sized and smaller publishers that are really putting out excellent stuff but just don't have the voice in in the market in the same way. Interesting. And and the other thing I want to mention too that I love about Brandon Telgemeier's books and her storytelling ability is I have seen young boys read Smile and Mm -hmm. Sisters as recently as uh, last week. We had, when we do outreach events, we'll have like a selection of books and kids can enter a drawing and pick which book they want. And I watched out of the selection of books, like an eight-year-old boy choose Randy Telgemeier's book, Sisters, Love it. that cool. he wanted to win. I you know? find that so That's different from cool. when I grew up, you know, like where the blue stuff and the pink stuff, and, yeah. you know, and where now it's 
Rainas for everybody. The, yeah, the story, yeah. the stories, you know, like the stories speak for themselves. Historically, girls will read about boy protagonists. Boys are less likely to read right. about girl protagonists. Mm-hmm. And so it's very exciting for me to see boys be interested in and excited about yeah. Yeah. girl protagonists in yeah. comics. Absolutely. Yeah, I brought home uh, El Defo and my That's another good one. tore through that book. So one other thing I did want to talk about with broader appeal these days is that the comic industry has become more diversified. Has it? What do you think? So as a white man, I don't have the ultimate insight into this. I would say that the bigger publishers, that there had definitely been a very decided effort to, you know, we've got like one of the big ones recently is Ms. Marvel, who's mm-hmm. a, a Muslim mm-hmm. Pakistani character. And that her character has become very, very popular. Yeah. One thing I'm seeing is more creators, like I'm seeing the big publishers bring on like uh, Rainbow Rowell, who's done Runaways. Was it the Jerry Craft books too, right? What, New Kid and... Uh, oh, yes. Yep, yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. that one, the Newberry. That, that was yeah. super yeah. exciting yeah. for me to he, see, you know, the most esteemed award in children's mm-hmm. liber- literature go Going to down. a graphic novel was fantastic. But, you know, LGBTQ plus representation. Yeah. More people of color, not just featured as characters in comics, but also writing comics. Mm-hmm. It was really rare yeah. that anyone but a, a white man would be doing the writing. Kudos to a point for people like Stan Lee, you know, who, whatever your opinion of him, did have some kind of consciousness about uh, equality. Yeah, and I mean, he was of his time, mm-hmm. but creating characters like Black Panther and Luke yeah. Cage. I mean, Luke Cage is a hugely popular Marvel yeah. universe. Yeah. He's a fantastic character. But I know that Black Panther had Tennessee Coates, right? Right. Writing some yeah. of the stuff. Right. It's amazing. And it's very interesting if you just kind of look at a cross section, you see a much more wide variety of sort of gender slash sexual orientation, mm-hmm. people of different colors and and even, you know, religions writing for the publishers. And I guess the question was, is it? And that's that the piece of it is that, you yeah. know, how much of it is an appearance when you look behind the scenes, you know, what's really going on? Are people, you know, getting equal pay? Are they being yeah. tre- treated right. as well? I think another thing too that contributed to that was there was right around like Me Too when that was happening. Yes. You heard more things coming out about some of that discrimination and abuse Absolutely. and harassment yeah. happening yeah. in the comics industry, which yeah. when the word started getting out about it, it was like, wow, this is a serious a serious problem in yeah. the comics industry in particular. And I think that there have been various creators and things that were essentially publicly shamed, which I think had a, the effect to give more accountability, I think, to the ones who were left and then to make more space for more yeah. diverse representation among creators and not just characters, which is what's really important. Yeah. I think just to kind of wrap this conversation up a bit, I think we'd be remiss we didn't mention one thing. It's manga. Where does that fit into the puzzle? I mean, manga, essentially, it's just another word for comics. Yeah. The difference between comics and graphic novels and manga and these things. I mean, they're essentially words for the same thing. Yeah. Usage, I think, matters and and where you are. Like, if you're really in that world, everything is comics. It's all just comics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a manga that's comics. Everything is comics. Sure. In Japan, they read from right to left. Yeah. And they actually used to flip the art so that it could be read oh. from left to right. Oh, interesting. And there was a point at which they were like, hey, you know, wait a minute. We, American readers could probably handle this. And, yeah. You know, they, they can were, figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I first started really getting into manga, I haven't been into manga nearly as long as I was, yeah. you know, other formats. Sure. It was really when I was on great graphic novels for teens for ALA. I, like I had to read it and I was just blown away. I mean, I, I thought it was like, you know, Naruto and Fruits Basket. Yeah, that yeah. was manga, you yeah. know, Sailor Moon, you know. Sure. Yeah. But those are sort of almost stereotypical examples of mm-hmm. these different formats, you know, Shonen and Shoujo. And yeah. I was introduced to this world of like literary manga yeah. that blew my mind. And, and even like horror manga. Oh, my gosh. Horror can be tough with comics. 
one of the things that's interesting that people don't think about a lot is that when you're drawing the pictures, if you have like a big reveal, you want to make sure that you plan that for yeah. the opposite oh. side of the page because your your eye has a tendency to flash over. And if you're like revealing your monster, you want to have it on a two on the right side of a two page spread because before you get there, you're going to see the monster. They want if you turn the page and bam, you know there it is. And I think because of the the sort of the pacing, jump scares, that kind of thing, it's not accomplished quite as well in comics. But because Japanese manga tends to be more about like body horror and atmosphere and things like that. It's just really, if you're interested in horror, like the Japanese horror manga, there's so much good stuff out there. Japanese have like a, a handle, but yeah, just like the literary side of manga. And I, I would say probably my reading is split evenly wow, at this okay. point between the two. And then another big one is BD, which is in France. So one of the things that people know the most would be like Tintin. Yeah would be an example of that but there's a whole like the european comics it's there's a whole rich history there and again like with japanese manga just the different styles that have sort of the the way the format has evolved because of the different areas in which it's grown american storytelling is very different japanese storytelling which is very different from european storytelling that's something i I have not seen quite as much representation of in libraries we have a, a pretty good collection of like lucky luke and and the blue coats and you know several different series of, I mean, Asterix is another one that people know a lot about besides Tintin, but I would love to see libraries embrace French slash European comics yeah. more mm-hmm. as well because there's just a lot of really fantastic storytelling. Well, that's what's great about the Eisner Awards, right? They have what categories, best U.S. edition of international material and Asian material, and then they, it brings attention to us of, of the great stuff that might not be you know right within reach. Yeah, and I try to, to send a, an email out when I see them coming out. I appreciate know, it. to kind of give people a heads up about it. I'm excited uh, to get them on the shelf. The thing that I mention usually in my email that I've said a lot as a former Eisner judge is that the nominees, they have to sort of battle out, if you will, so many other books that a nominee is essentially a winner. Yeah, you know, and, no and doubt. The thing that's a little bit different about the Eisner Awards is that we don't pick the winners. We pick the nominees. And then the sort of comics world, the comics industry world then picks the winners from the nominees. And, you know, I've heard judges talk about how sometimes it can seem like a popularity contest and people yeah. just vote for the stuff that they've heard about the most. So which is why I think from the standpoint of a judge, if it's a nomination, like it's it's worth having the collection. So, yeah, PCL wow. uh, listeners out there, we've got some uh, Eisner nominees headed to our shelves soon. So keep a lookout for that. So on that note, what was it like being an Eisner judge? How'd you get there? And The first time it kind of came into my mind as something I wanted to do was I think it was probably 2012. I chaired a couple of full-day conferences in 2012 and 2014 for educators, basically, called Comics, Libraries, and Education. And one of the people who came, Karen Green, who actually was a medieval history librarian at Columbia University. Now, I believe her job is exclusively comics archives and things like that. But she sort of on the side was developing a comics collection. And is kind of a big player in the library comics world. And she came and was uh, one of our speakers. And I'd known her for a few years before that. But she had been a judge, I think, the year previous. And so I was like, what do you have to do to become a judge? And she was like, well, you have to do something nationally recognized. And I'd known that there had been people who'd been on great graphic novels for teens. Yeah that had then gone on to become Eisner judges. And so I thought, well, let me try that. I mean, I've always been interested in being a part of that committee anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I signed up for it. Apparently, I made enough of an impression that they asked me to be the chair for the third year. So I was cool. like three years of chair. Oh, very cool. And then I just, I had the email address of Jackie Estrada, who's in charge of the committee. And I was like, hey, uh, I'm interested in being an Eisner judge. Here's my resume. Yeah. And then just kind of waited with bated breath. And, and then it was, I think, September 2015, I got an email from her. 
inviting me to be an Iser judge and I was like so excited about it. Like before I, I didn't respond, I just was like in my office or something. I just ran back <laughs> so to cool. the prison children. I'd like told everybody all on the way. And, <laughs> I, you know, and I got back and I responded. She's like, oh, yeah, by the way, don't say anything about <laughs> it yet <laughs> because we don't make the official announcement until December. <laughs> so, <laughs> whoops. I yeah. jumped the gun a little bit. And then That's I had to go cool. back to all those people and say, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was hugely excited because I had worked really hard to get there. Yeah. So to have something that you've worked for actually come to fruition and to be i mean really it's when you are an eisner judge you're you're allowed to do it once oh you've oh, been really? an eisner judge before you don't ever get to be interesting again. and so it's like a really elite group so you of, have to of treasure people. that experience yeah. oh exactly what, yeah. so exactly. what year did you judge 2016 oh cool and so it's it includes i don't know if i remember all of them but there's a librarian there is someone in academics mm-hmm. there is a comic book store owner usually <laughs> There is a creator of some sort, and then they have like a person who's on the board of Comic Con because the Eisner Awards are essentially sort of hosted by San Diego Comic Con. As a librarian, it's even like a smaller pool because it's like one of the six, you know, that happens each year. And so I was the second children's librarian actually who ever been an Eisner judge, you know, in the entire history of the awards. Like really? Specifically, so cool. yeah. yeah. I mean, they had teen librarians sure. before, and huh. sometimes even like academic librarians actually children's librarianship nice. and this, this is a small thing but at the beginning of each session you know they look at the categories and they say well are there any changes do you think that could be made to the categories and the children's categories used to be you know ages birth through seven and then it was like eight through 12 mm-hmm. and then like teen and i made the suggestion and i said i feel like probably through eight seems like a a, a better cutoff point yeah in terms of content especially mm-hmm. yeah and like nine Agreed. through twelve and so now it's up through age eight and then nine through That's, 12. Yeah. So this right is like, my you know, my, my yeah. really super tiny no, en- enduring yeah. contribution to. <laughs> that's a big deal. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they fly everybody out there. They pay for your travel and they pay for your hotel. And, and all wh- where did you say it was? To San Diego. San Diego. Okay. And then you basically sequester in a room for like four days. And there's a whole process that you go through filtering through yeah. all the stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's intense. And like they split up the categories. I mean, everyone's, sort of meant to have some kind of familiarity with every single book that gets nominated. But basically, out of all of the piles, if you can imagine sort of folding tables uh, along (laughs) along the edges of every wall and imagine them stacked stacked above and below with comics (laughs) around the entire room. I mean, it's intimidating. So much. Like I went in there having had years of experience in this format. And I was like, I had no idea (laughs) that there was this much. And I just think about how there's a whole world out there and so they divide up the categories and the people who are responsible for the categories filter down all everything in that category to 10. And then from that 10, everybody goes through all the 10 and all the categories. And then they vote on those 10 and narrow them down to five, sometimes six. And then one of the things that I'm proudest of is the year that I was an Eisner judge, we set a record for the most women creators that had been nominated. Excellent. And we actually made the Washington Post, which oh, wow. usually the Eisner Very Awards, cool. the nominations don't sort of reach those yeah, the, storied levels of journalism. So that's <laughs> so fantastic. It was very exciting. And very yeah, cool. just it was a highlight of a career. I bet. Something I'll remember for the rest of my life. And uh yeah, I, I, I wish that I could do it again. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Well Jason, thank you so much for uh thank coming you. on the show. This was like a real delight to talk to you yeah, about. This this yeah, this was a treat. Yeah, it really was. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I'll come back anytime. I can talk about comics all day long. Excellent. All right folks, Wonderful. go uh read graphic novels, right? right. You got a whole Pick summer to do it here. There's a lot of stuff here. I, like I said before we're gonna have the Eisner nominee coming in soon and, right. I, and feel free to email me too like yeah. jason.pool at libraryweb.org i have sure. you know librarians will sometimes email me for recommendations and things like that i'm always happy 
not just here, but anywhere to Excellent. anyone to talk about comics. Very so, good. Wonderful. Love it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that discussion about graphic novels with Jason Poole. We are so thankful for him to to make his way over from Webster. It's a lot of fun to talk graphic novels, and uh, I think we all learned a little bit of something. So next time, we have the Memorial Art Gallery's Ebony Jones. She's the curator of interpretive resources for their Charlotte Whitney Allen Library there. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun to, to get to talk to a different kind of librarian, someone who does not work in the public library, but at an art gallery. So that's going to be pretty cool. So until next time, signing off, your friendly neighborhood librarians. See you later. Thank you to Meldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, RIT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music. The Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects. And to the New York Times for the use of the By the Book column. Find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app.